Hello and welcome to Political Dharma. I'm Alan Zundel. That piece of music you heard was Patty Rose. You can find more of his music online. And also he has a podcast called Spent the Rent Podcast. Today, I want to talk some more about political strategy. And to put this in context, since I was a young man, I have been trying to do what I can to address two social problems. One is the violence of war, and the other one is economic hardship that people seem to struggle with unnecessarily given how productive our forces are. Our economy is able to produce quite a bit, and yet people are still suffering. I'm talking not only the severely poor who are homeless out on the street, not enough to eat. I'm also talking about people that simply are having trouble paying the rent or feeling secure in their job or feeling like they can get uh, very far in their life, like they're stuck in a particular low-level economic position. So in general, economic issues that make things tougher on people than you would think just the human condition makes it. And I also have come to believe that an electoral strategy is an important part of this. I don't want to go into all my reasons for that. Some I've repeated before, but in this particular episode, I want to pick up where I had left off last year, explaining a new political strategy that I had. I'm not sure how new it was, but it was new for me to try, which involved trying to create a pseudo party organization, bringing people together across the broad left onto an online platform where they could discuss the various candidates running in electoral races and after discussion, vote and determine which candidate they thought was most worth supporting. At that point, there'd be no guarantee that people would vote for it, but it'd be a way of advising each other after discussion and consideration. Most people thought that this candidate was worth supporting. So take that into account when you vote. So kind of like a party in the sense that it would uh, determine what kind of candidate it wanted to back. And not like a party because it wouldn't take organized effect within the electoral campaigns, but people individually on their own can decide who they're going to support and how, whether as a volunteer, donating money, just giving a lot of uh, backing, maybe online, you know, promoting a candidate to their family and friends, whatever it is, engaging in electoral activities to promote a candidate. So the idea behind this was to get around the conditions created by our two-party system and our voting system. I found that the same thing a lot of people have found, it's hard to get traction within the Democratic Party for anyone who's too left of center. And it's hard to create and sustain a minor party when you're stuck in this position of always being a minor party, never being able to show any progress. That's not a good recipe for convincing people to get involved in your party and back your candidates. So the two-party system has left me with two choices. One is to change the way we vote for people to open up the two-party system to more candidates, more parties, create a more level playing field, so to speak. And I've been doing that for the past, I don't know, nearly 20 years, mostly backing ranked choice voting until more recently when star voting was developed and I got behind that because I do see it as an improvement of ranked choice voting. 
in any event, that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years politically is trying to promote change in our voting methods to open up the electoral process to different voices, different parties, different ideas, give, it, give them more of a fair shot. Um, but that effort here in Oregon, where I'm living, seemed to be stalled because of rivalry between the supporters of ranked choice voting and the supporters of star voting, not able to get together behind one thing. And nothing was really happening last year in the middle of the year. So I decided, okay, I'm getting older. Right now I'm 70 years old and I've been trying to find ways to advance ideas politically for since I was in my mid-20s or so. So that's a long time. That's uh, nearly 50 years, <laughs> half a century. Um, and I'm not going to be living very long. So I wanted to start thinking back to what I wanted to promote in the first place, what I now think is the best ideas about addressing economic hardship and the violence of war, what I think the best approaches and understandings of society are to try to do that before I die. I want to get my ideas out there in case it's helpful to anybody else to pick up where I left off if they think there's any merit in these ideas. But since they were just my ideas, they've been my ideas. Before recently, I thought just getting together people on the left in general, um, even though there's ideological divisions between them, if we can get them to work together to get around this two-party system uh, maybe ignore our party labels, whether we're not affiliated with the party or we're maintaining Democratic Party status or we're in a minor party or whatever it happens to be, that we could somehow work together to talk about candidates and to support them. Well, I, as I said in my very last video of last year, which was just a short one I put up, I think, on the last day of the year, I've abandoned that strategy, but that's not entirely true because I've half abandoned that strategy and half not abandoned that strategy. I first laid out that strategy of bringing people together around the online platform and creating a kind of pseudo party, a coalition, electoral coalition. I first discussed it in my second to last video of last year, which was way back in the springtime. And then I said I was going to get involved in trying to make that happen. Well, two things came out of that. Let me take a sip of tea right now to keep myself going. Two things came out of that. One, in my initial conversations, I found there are obstacles to moving forward with that. The first few people I talked to, in one way or another, um, had a different take on it. Like it was difficult to get people to think outside the boxes of parties' candidates. As if I talked to somebody, for example, from the Green Party, they would feel like, okay, what if the group all converges around a Democrat and I don't like a Democrat, I'd rather vote for the Green Party candidate. Uh, why am I engaged in this exercise of all of us talking about it? Unless I can persuade people to vote for the Green Party candidate because they're not gonna persuade me to vote for the Democrat. Anyway, to some extent, people who are politically active already have their party identities kind of baked in to some degree hard to get people to cross those lines and think in broader terms. So that was one problem I found. The other problem is one that I actually was aware of when I had that program where I explained the strategy more fully, and that is that ideological differences can get in the way. And by that, I don't mean like really um, well articulated political philosophies. I simply mean the 
the general orientation that people had towards leftist politics, which could range from what are generally referred to as progressives who would like to, like Bernie Sanders say, return to the New Deal coalition of the 1930s and 40s, where there was a lot of uh, social welfare spending, uh, the creation of social security, regulations of the banking industry and et cetera, to move back toward that, which had been unraveled during the 1980s and 1990s, move back toward that, create a framework for capitalism to uh, improve people's lives better, mostly by transferring money from the very rich to people who had less and creating conditions that were more favorable to unions and the reigning in of the worst abuses of business practices for the sake of environment and workers, et cetera. So there'd be people on that side. Now, Bernie Sanders called himself a democratic socialist, and he's thinking mostly of the social welfare states of Northern Europe. But you could also look at socialists um, more further to the left that are looking to move beyond capitalism. And I would put myself in that camp as well, that it's not enough to regulate capitalism or to transfer money from some hands to the others. You actually have to find a political economic system that moves beyond the fundamental framework of capitalism and what we uh, ironically call democracy because our, our American government was specifically set up to prevent anything getting too democratic, putting too much power in the hands of the people. So that, the, that position would be a little more to the left to move towards something that uh, goes beyond capitalism, usually in the sense that we start with that progressive kind of idea of regulating capitalism and helping people with various social welfare programs, and then go on to say nationalize key industries and things like that. Um, and eventually moving to some kind of workers' control of the economy, either through the mediation of the government or more directly in the businesses they're engaged in. That part of the program is a little hazier, a little further beyond sight. Uh, and then finally, you have me. And my position is a little bit in between the position of democratic socialists that I would call generally a Marxist tradition not so much the Leninist revolutionary tradition, so much as the Marxist tradition of taking over the state by, in the case of um, political systems that have the right to vote, to try to elect people to office and gradually get enough in office so that you could take control of the state and institute these programs. So my position was really that you need to have an electoral arm of any movement, but I'm a little more anarchist in the sense that I have a great deal of distrust of the state and would not like a, uh, a program which builds up the capacities of the state rather than reduces the capacities of the state while it's also trying to help people and reduce warfare. Uh, so my position was a little bit unique and out of the box, or so I thought. So, what I've determined at this point is that the half part of my strategy that I think still could work is that an online platform for trying to discuss issues and strategies and get behind candidates, stuff like that. That's, that idea could work. But what I want to do is focus more on a specific ideological position and create something of a more traditional party where it's trying to advance 
according to a specific electoral strategy and a vision of the future that's a little more in line with mine. And the reason I'm saying that is because I have found in some of my reading lately that several thinkers are moving closer to me, trying to find a reconciliation between the anarchist suspicion of government and the Marxist tradition of taking over the state. In that respect, um, what would a party like that look like? If the strategy I have now is creating a new party, what would the strategy look like? Okay. I can talk about the kind of ideological position, the general viewpoint that I'm developing and that I've heard other people talking about. So, you know, their ideas sync with mine gives me more encouragement that the ideas I would like to advance are held by other people and probably the um, tension between people who fear the size of the government, which is a lot of Americans, actually, that's a very American tradition. It's not just anarchists. It's very American to distrust big government, right? It's usually found on the right side of the political spectrum rather than the left side of the political spectrum. Although you have people that are anarchists or libertarian socialists that you wouldn't know what to do with on that kind of spectrum, and that would include me, where I'm generally suspicious of state power, but still I want to gauge in the electoral process to gain some state power and to use it for good while at the same time reducing its size. So that position, I think, has some appeal for some people. And I would like to see a party where I could say I really full-throatedly back this party rather than trying to find compromises between people that are more progressive, more democratic socialists, and myself, I'd like to stake out this position a little more fully and see if I can find other people that want to help me build, or at least if I'm gone by that time, if people can take up this idea and run with it. But it brings me back to the question of um, getting around the two-party system. Now, this is the other part that encourages me that something like a new party with a new platform or a new uh, viewpoint orientation or tendency, as socialists like to call it, and by the way, I call myself a socialist because I'd like to go beyond capitalism. That doesn't necessarily make me a fan of big government or a um, doctrinaire Marxist or anything that, like that. It simply means I want to go beyond capitalism and change the foundations of our political and economic system, whether it's gradually or more quickly. That's a question of strategy and opportunities, I think. So, well, at the same time, I was having trouble getting people to agree to work around the two-party system. I'm, the opportunity came up to work on star voting again here in Oregon. So I put my energies into that. But as I said, as I thought about this more recently, meaning towards the end of the year and started to see other people are thinking along the same lines as me. And there has been a lot of movement in the area of changing voting methods in different parts of the United States. I thought, well, something like a new party could succeed if it created a strategy that was state by state, rather than trying to adopt the same strategy across the United States. And by that, I mean, when people talk about starting a new party, they usually think, first of all, of getting on the ballot and getting their party recognized legally as a, a party worthy of a ballot line, that it's fulfilled the requirements showing enough members or enough registered voters or enough signatures or a high enough percentage of the vote, whatever it is, showing they're a serious force 
that should be awarded uh, a ballot line so that candidates could run in the name of that party. That's what they usually think of. But the, the problem is that you're a minor party if you're not one of the major parties and our whole system is set up to block minor parties. So the strategy would have to be in places where the two-party system is still entrenched, you would work on ways to change the voting methods in that state. That would be the party strategy to move towards that point. But in places where the voting methods had already been changed, and there are a few examples like that, you could actually start to run candidates with that party as a way of showing building support from election to election cycle because the voting system no longer blocks you from consideration. That is the spoiler problem is to some extent mitigated, allowing you to do that. And I would say states that have adopted ranked choice voting for some or most of their elections or states that have adopted what's called an open primary, and there's two uses of the term open primary, so maybe there's a better term here. Open primary often means a major party allows people from outside the party or non-affiliated voters in particular to vote for in their primary election to choose their nominee for an office. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a primary election in which all of the candidates from all of the parties run in one election and then a small set advances to the general election. And that ability to run in the primary election with the uh, endorsement of some minor party gives you the opportunity to say, you can vote for us now and still choose between the major party candidates if they're generally the candidates in the general election. So you don't have to worry about the spoiler problem as much and you can show support within the primary election. So I think those give openings. And we have a top two system in California now, and I think in Washington, where everybody runs in the primary election and then two advance to the general election. So far, mostly Democrats and Republicans, although Lisa Murkowski, well-known senator in Alaska, has shown that she can get through that type of primary system as an independent or even as a write-in candidate. In the general election, I think she did that. So it does open a possibility. So we have a top two system where everybody runs in one primary and the top two advance to the general election. And in Alaska now, we have a open primary with the top four or five going to, I think the top four going to the general election and then using ranked choice voting to determine the winner in that election. So where you have this system of open primaries where everybody runs from one primary, or you have ranked choice voting, or eventually, I hope, you get star voting, which I regard as superior to both of those for various reasons, more modern invention, trying to deal with the problems of older systems. You could actually run candidates with a party label as a way of building a party presence. And if you get to the point of winning an office, you can get a lot of publicity for that. So states where there's still an entrenched two-party system and a method of voting that restricts you to choosing one candidate and voting for only one rather than having some preference or having an open primary, you're restricted to choosing one of the major parties or being shut out as an independent or minor party candidate for the or in, in virtually, I mean, you can get on the ballot, but you virtually can't get elected in partisan elections. Uh, so in those states working for changing the voting systems in states where there is a change in voting methods, 
creating a formal party to try to do that. And there are states in between, I think, where it's generally a two-party system where you have to participate in a major party's primary to influence the candidates who are going to be the most likely winners in the general election. But we do have other elections like local elections where you have a top two system where it's nonpartisan and everybody runs in one primary where party labels aren't listed. And then the top two go to the general election. So there is an opening there for running as a candidate who is endorsed by and representing a party that's not an official party, not with a ballot line officially, but still you could advance the cause of that party and attract people to the um, joining that party and voting for the candidates of that party. If you can show that you can get good candidates, have a good platform, have a good program, and allows you to educate the public and the rest of it, the things that minor parties usually try to do, which is bringing new issues into the public arena, educating voters on the process, giving people the opportunity to engage in the electoral process, even though they're not too happy with the two major parties, uh, all that stuff would help build towards something else. Okay. So we're about 20 minutes into this roughly, and where do I wanna go for here? Let me say just a little bit more about uh, the political ideology idea that I was talking about, because I think here there's a lot of considerations and maybe it's too much to tackle. I, I will spend more time in other videos interviewing other people who are talking about these ideas or uh, talking about it further myself. But the general idea here is for me, my experience with politics started with my opposition to the Vietnam War. And we have such states are premised on using organized violence to maintain what they call law and order and also to engage in foreign policy. And anarchist position has been that states are therefore dangerous and they're usually captured by class interest. They're always so far captured by class interest and they use that violence to suppress dissent and restrict individual freedom and the rest of it. That even the so-called real socialist state like USSR and Cuba or Venezuela or wherever else, China, there's been a great deal of restriction of political rights, which is um, not something I, I like either. Uh, in America, as I said, we have this tradition of suspicious of state authority. And I think that syncs with that anarchist tradition that people don't like government growing bigger. And I think once the, um, the economic problems of the 1970s began to hit and people began to question the direction of the New Deal, conservative arguments that the growth of government was a bad thing for the economy, started to take hold and that American suspicion that big government and a lot of spending and all that was going to be bad for the country gained traction. So there's a double whammy of the previous political strategy of trying to use the government to intervene in the economy was no longer, no longer working very successfully. And at the same time, the conservatives brought in this argument that it was because of the very size of the government that the economy wasn't functioning correctly, that we should reduce the scale of government. They're tapping into that attitude of anti-government American um, 
political mentality. So I think a message that says that what we're not trying to do is move in all ways towards a stronger, more powerful government that has the potential for screwing up the economy or messing up your life <laughs> is not what we're out for. We're out for something a little different, which is workers' control of the businesses that they work within. That's an old idea. It's an anarchist idea. It's also part of the cooperative movement. And for a number of reasons, both those movements have not succeeded in spreading that concept very well. Very well. As a number of commentators would say, I would agree that the main reason is it's difficult to grow. It's difficult to establish and grow those kind of business enterprises that are controlled by workers in a capitalist system. It's difficult for them to raise capital. It's difficult for them to compete in the market, not because they um, have to compete against, uh, not because they can't produce good products, but because they don't have the capital to keep improving their technology and they can't rely on reducing wages and increasing hours and workload and the rest of things that the capitalist economy uses to try to squeeze more work out of fewer workers. If cooperatives do that, then they're just making their lives more miserable. So existing within a capitalist framework is difficult. And what you need to do is have a vision of how these types of institutions could thrive in a different legal framework so that the state has less of a role in managing the economy, that workers within the businesses can do that successfully if you have ways of socializing the investment of capital. And by socializing, I don't mean all of it controlled by the national government. I simply mean that it is you have a system that determines where to invest, not based on how much profit can be created for investors, but on the scarcity of capital, that is interest rates, because where there's more demand for money for business to meet business opportunities, to get a business started to meet an opportunity, it should be determined by the scarcity of money, the interest rate, not on a small set of people who already own most of everything, determining that here's an opportunity for them to gain more profit. I could go off on all kinds of tangents at this point. We're getting near what the end of the show is. Uh, so that's just a um, an overview of where I'm at right now. I'm thinking that I would like to develop or contribute to, or at least talk about in this series, the idea of creating a new political party that would have different strategies depending on the political situation they find themselves in state by state in the United States and determining whether they should try to seek a ballot line or become a more formal party, uh, determining uh, based on what the voting method is in that state, what the types of voting methods are being used are. So that would be the strategy. The ideological position would be closer to something I'm talking about, which straddles the anarchist and Marxist social democratic traditions. Um, but moves beyond capitalism. It doesn't just stick with the idea that we're stuck with capitalism and we can successfully rein it in and turn it to the advantage of people through the intermediation of the government. Because for reasons that I'll explain in a further show, I don't even think that's possible anymore. The main reason being globalization. Gaining control of a national government will not give you control of a 
international economy, but I think that a network of businesses that are run by workers could network across the world. And this is a big vision going forward, right? But you got to have a vision. You got to have a, um, some idea of what you're trying to head towards. First, you acknowledge you're in a capitalist economy. And for me, crosses a certain line when you say you can't uh, rest on that capital economy, you can't fix it. You can only like mitigate some of its harms to a certain extent, but there'll always be pushback. Got to move beyond a capitalist economy. This is my ideas for how to try to do that. This is where I'm at right now. This is what I want to talk about in this year's series of podcasts and videos. And I hope you will join me for this right now. You can find me on YouTube. And if you uh, subscribe and hit that notification bell, you can follow what I'm saying and even push back by comments underneath the YouTube video. This is also broadcast through several podcast platforms. So if you're listening to it there, please subscribe and like. If there's an opportunity to do some kind of like or recommendation, please do that if you're interested. Uh, and then come back and listen some more. And I'd like to hear from you back what you think about all this. So looking forward to doing this. Hoping uh, it has some momentum and I don't change on you again too soon or you even keep up with. But this this is, it feels like a trajectory in my life is, is um, starting to become clearer. It's starting to, uh, about time, right? <laughs> At this point in my life, I really better get, get this thing going. I'm not going to do anything, get it out there. All right, that's enough for me. Uh, thanks for listening if you've gotten this far and please come back and here's a little more of Patty Rose again.